We're continuing where we left off. <clears throat> it is February 2nd, 2020, and we're ready to begin and continue our worship service with a thought of the week and prayer. Okay, thought of the week. There is no doubt that Abraham lost his first son, Ishmael. Jairus saw how his attention was abided. And Isaac did not get the attention he deserved as the promised son. This made a decision which seemed a bit harsh as I read it. Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Abraham was upset at this rift in his family. He loved his son Ishmael deeply. What would Abraham do? All of his hopes and dreams were bound up in his son. He then heard from God, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Sarah had the right idea, and God confirmed it. Abraham was not paying attention to God's plans, and now he had to set his Agar and his beloved son out of the camp forever. God would take care of them, of course, but there was no, there was, but there was to be no confusion over who was the chosen one, and there was to be no sharing of the inheritance God planned exclusively for Isaac. Isn't it interesting today that in, that in Islamic circles, they have Ishmael as the promised son. Our inheritance in, in God's plan for the church is just as important to him. We must pay special attention to the distinctions God made. After all, it is God's plan, not ours. We will certainly never see the wisdom of God's plan if we constantly have an Ishmael before our eyes. Take it for the thought of the week. It's so true after the day as a lot of people don't listen to what God is telling them and they have the idea of listening to what their, their thoughts. And we know that our thoughts are not God's thoughts. Neither are our ways. So when God spoke to Abraham, he, he made promise to Abraham. He told him who would be the promise to us. And how many times since as of the day, those who are in different other religions, they'll, they'll, don't seem to listen. Even though they may read the words, their ideas are totally different. And we all know that Isaac was his chosen one, not Ishmael. So, you know, it comes to a point where time reveals itself all over again about how when God speaks, a lot of times no one seems to listen. But thanks be to God that his plans have also pre also pre prevailed for the church and for the blessed that are in hope that he has to store for us. So this is what I get taken out of the order of the week about Abraham and what God has in store for us as his church. 
Now, to continue our service, we'd like to have a prayer given to us by Dwight. He will lead us in prayer. All right. Thank you, Dave. I will, of course, be praying for our families and our extended families. Are there any special requests in addition to that? Uh, just traveling mercies for me that I'm still traveling and my family. And pray for my family as well. So let us bow our heads before God. Dear Father, we ask that we would have humility in our hearts toward your plan, your glorious plan to be conformed to the image of Christ. Let us never give up in endurance and diligently seeking after you. I pray for health and wellness for all of us, for all of the people on this call, or the immediate word is true to family, and of course, the church worldwide as well. But we know that the body of Christ is not isolated in a geographic position, but your body, your spirit lives through the through, um, through believers. I pray also for those who are in harm's way in this in this fallen world the uh, coronavirus and natural disasters that have um, made the news in this world. I pray that you would um, keep people safe so that um, they have an opportunity, just as we would love the opportunity to share their, your, your story and your faith and the gospel so that all men may be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And we pray for our um, immediate families and extended families. We also pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we would see the wisdom and knowledge that you have destined for our glory before time began. I pray that you would give our pastor a voice to speak your truth and wisdom that is in your word and, and allow us to have the ears to hear what the Spirit says. And I pray also for traveling mercies. Um, not only for our pastor, but for anybody who is uh, traveling on the roads, especially tonight, um, probably because of Super Bowl Sunday, at least in the United States, um, there might be people that are uh, have, have had too much to drink on the road, so let us all be careful with that. Um, but truly, let, us, let our hearts be focused on what your words means to us and what your uh, ways are for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight and Dave. We're going to amen. move right in to where we are. Um, you have notes, and in your notes, we have uh, the following. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and that the, and the Father is in me or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. As we continue with the context, we can see that our Lord struggled with the disciples here. His vision for them was clear. He knew he was leaving soon, and in his mind, he wanted to leave an impression of importance in their minds. Would they trust Jesus? We find ourselves in the same position often as we grow in grace. We are challenged to believe things 
that may not agree with the theology we previously held to be truth. We often need the reminder that the information we are to believe is what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. The Holy Spirit will wrestle with us to help us believe and grow. When we leave the familiar territory of our doctrinal beliefs, we will be nervous and on new ground, distrusting of the way forward. Here's where we must put, our, uh, put into practice walking by faith and not by sight. So with this verse in front of us, I'd say it is uh, verses 10 and 11 are very similar in this way. They emphasize the same things, and even with more emphasis that we have another verse. Says, believe me, don't you believe? Believe me. Jesus is more on the side, of, as is clearly seen, that he's pleading with the disciples to believe him. And we're going to get right into it. Uh, point one. Believe me when I say that trusting the words of Jesus should be easy, right? You believe in God, believe also in me. This is John 14, 1b. So when I say it should be easy, I mean, it's Jesus after all. I mean, he's the Lord. You would think that this is something that is more common to our experience. Okay, we should trust the words of Jesus. Doesn't mean we're going to be obedient to Jesus in all respects. But at least we might have the understanding that we should trust what he says is to be true. We consider him Lord. We know he was the one who died and rose again and now is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. We, we know who Jesus is, and to trust him should be a matter of course, for, especially for believers. However, it wasn't the case. And this is why Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. You, your concept of God may not agree with what I'm telling you, but I'm telling you now, in the same way you believe in God, I'm going to need the same type of humility and belief in the words that I'm getting ready to teach you. So it's important, I would say, for us to understand and trust the words of Jesus. I shouldn't have to really say this, but I do. I end up having to say this because people don't necessarily trust Jesus. Next point. The disciples clearly did not believe the words of Jesus. That It's apparent from the context, and we have already stated that Jesus seems to be pleading with the disciples. Checking in in cool, clear Florida. Yeah. Trust. So he is literally saying uh, that he, uh, the words by Thomas and Philip, when we look at those uh, points that they made from those questions they were able to we were able to understand and Jesus was too that um, they didn't believe him 
me to ask questions that probably Jesus had gone over and over and over, and you come right back to the same question, what do you mean? <laughs> so Jesus understood. And you could see that he is at a point of uh, laboring, wrestling with them to help them understand things that they should have understood, but there was a problem. It was about belief. And I would say the matter goes to humility. People have certain belief structures in their heart. And when you cross those boundaries, people will choose to not believe in what you're saying. Because they will defer to the trust that they already have in their hearts. And as I said in the previous <laughs> uh, Q&A session... Today, people wrestle back and forth with each other, and to Google seems to settle the matter. Well, what did Google say? <laughs> well, what we should be doing to settle the matter, if, if there's any dispute, is the Word of God, because that is the guide. Now, of course, Google does work for some factual things <laughs> but in human history, but uh, for the Word of God, for spiritual questions, the Word of God is our guide. And we should, as it says, study to show ourselves approved, workmen that, needed, that do not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the disciple, it was clear. Now, Jesus did not discipline them for not believing. He didn't uh, mock them, but he was clearly wrestling with them. Don't you believe this? Don't you believe me? Why, why don't you believe me? Believe me when I tell you this, when I say this. So it was clear they didn't believe it. And the questions that they gave in verses 6 and 8 clearly did say it. What was the one question? And, and uh, Well, actually it's five. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Philip said in verse 8, Lord, Show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. In other words, if you can satisfy this, then we will believe you. Uh, I tell you, that's tough. And uh, so Jesus is pleading with them. Point number C. For this dialogue will be recorded and preserved for us, demonstrates that... Uh, that we need this example as a lesson. Now, it's true. I mean, the fact that we have the record of this, that the, the back and forth between Philip and Thomas, especially the one in, at the end in John chapter 20, where Thomas challenges the resurrection. All the disciples, Thomas, we saw the Lord. He was here. You just weren't here. You missed it. All of us saw the same thing. We're not delusional. Thomas said, I won't believe it. And not only that, I'll go, I'll go a step further. Not only will I not believe it, but I will have to put my hands. I saw this man die. I saw them, you know, crucify him and thrust a spear in this I, he says, unless I put my hands in the nail prints and in his side, I will not believe. So notice it comes down to believing. 
believing we should say is a choice. We can get ample evidence from God to show that we should have the humility to believe him, but it still bears on our own choice. Believing is your choice to trust the matter, whatever it is, it's not always about salvation, uh, to God. And, and if you trust that to God, then basically you are allowing him to teach you, to tell you what his reality is or truth. So Thomas, uh, Jesus made a special appearance. And just like it says in the first time, and then Jesus appeared to him again. And this time, Thomas was with him. And he, he spoke. He didn't go to Peter and say, hey, Peter, what's going on? Let's go fishing. He, he went straight to Thomas and said, okay, Thomas, go right ahead. It is me. See that it is me. Go ahead. Put your hand. What you wanted as far as the test, I'm willing to submit to it. Thomas did not have to put his hand in Jesus. He knew immediately he was wrong. He fell to his knees in humility and said, Lord, I believe. And, and he, you can imagine the bold statement that Thomas made earlier to the disciples. It was obvious that Jesus heard every word of it. Thomas, I will not believe. He was making all these pronouncements. And yet, he crumbled before Jesus and he did believe. And Jesus made the statement, blessed are those who have, you have seen and you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And that would be people who lived before the cross. That would be people who lived after the cross. They have not seen personally the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, they believe. I'm one of them, by the way. So the fact that this dialogue is preserved for us, it demonstrates that we, we really need this example as a lesson to us. We really need to understand that we have to put trust in the words of God. We have to have humility in the, in the plan that comes from God, from the Word. If we don't have Hold on, I'm hearing some background noise. I will fix it. Stand by. Okay. So, back to where we were. <clears throat> there is a scripture that exemplifies this in my view. It's Isaiah. 66, and looking at uh, verse 2, says, um, well, why don't I go back to verse 1 just to pick up the context a little bit. Hold on, I'm still hearing some background noise. Are you all hearing that? Let's stand by. Stand by. Oh, okay. So, 66 verse with 1 and 2. 
This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? So when you look at that, you can see that uh, in this case, um, there we go, just muting here. In this case, the Lord is saying he is one who is in authority. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. He's pictured here as large, huge. Uh, who can compete with that on the earth? We're like ants to God if we're following this analogy. And yet he says, uh, where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. There are, these are the ones I will look on with favor. Now get this. Uh, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So here, this recognizes the authority of God. That's what we have to see here. And that level of authority, it demands, it, it persuades, it, it says that we should have humility toward God for who he is and what he has done. He is the creator. So that's the idea. So it's, God says, I've done all these things, and now I want you to listen to me. That's the way you have to turn the corner. Can you listen to God, who is the one who has authority? And when we think about signs, wonders, and miracles, well, the biggest miracle probably is creation. And, and there, obviously, I, I could say the biggest, but there are more that maybe compete with that. I would say the new creation is one. And these are the, the very things that will characterize our humility. The fact that God is over us, has authority over us. And I like the way he says that those who, ones I have favor on, those are the ones who tremble at my word. They respect him. They recognize who he is and they submit to him. Let's keep going in our text here. We've got a lot to cover. So believe me when I say that. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So now we're at this point that he is stressing. He's not just saying believe the teaching. That's one thing. He could say, you know, I, I know you don't understand uh, some of the things I've been telling you because they're new. But I'm stressing this point. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He wants us to know this point. So let's, let's dig into some of these. The Father had been teaching the disciples all along. In fact, in verse, uh, here it is. He had been teaching this thought. So verse 7 clearly says it. If you look at, uh, go back to John 14 and verse 7. So 14.7 says, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Then he says, From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. So from now on means, for the record, if you, if you, if you 
all the time I've been teaching, if you hadn't known before, well, you certainly should know now. You, you have seen him, <clears throat> and you do know him. I can imagine the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was saying. So, so verse 24 is also another key verse. It's John 14, 24. It says at the end, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words, which is when he says these words, he's talking about his teaching there. You hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So the words that are coming out of Jesus' mouth came from the Father. So it was the Father all along that's been teaching. And we see other scriptures that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact representation of his being. Uh, you know, this is part of the role that Christ has to come to reveal the Father. And when we say reveal the Father, we know that it's to reveal the Father's plan. That's what's new here. Point B. This is the relationship that will be conferred upon the disciples at Pentecost. They would be in Christ, and this also means they would share his relationship with the Father. They would be in Christ. That's important. And that sharing of the relationship that they have is unique. Right? This is the dynamic spiritual relationship that we're talking about, the Father in me and I am in the Father. So this is this is part of what it says in verse 20 here. If I go to verse 20, it says, On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. So again, <clears throat> the same thing Jesus has been stressing all along is going to happen to the disciples at Pentecost. And there's very clear evidence as to why they should have been focused on it and that Christ was preparing the way before this great event happened. He's, he's believe me when I tell you this. Please believe me when I, when I make this known to you, that this is going to be the case. You know, all, if I look at uh, this and if I stand back and look at it, I can see it. Many people will read these verses and not understand what is actually being said here. They will only look at it from, you know, not from the context. They will look at it from just their particular point of view. But that's not what we're after. We want to make sure that what we're saying here does in fact fit with what Christ means. So that relationship is going to be Pentecost. Now, since Pentecost, we also have the relationship of being in Christ, that is, new creations and such. And this also means that they would share his relationship with the Father. So whatever relationships you have by virtue of the fact that you are in Christ, uh, Christ, the relationships he has become ours as well. I like, even though this isn't in our notes, if we go to John uh, 17, says it this way, 1720, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That would be us, right? This is exactly us. 
Then he follows that all of them may be one Father. Now, what do we mean by one? Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So now it's not just in me and you, it's in us. So the, the relationship extends that Christ had with the Father. It extends to those who are in Christ. So we share his relationships, which is, that's powerful. So we find the Apostle Paul in the introduction in Ephesians 1, worthy of praise and glorification is the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have many statements that reference the Father. So it's important that we understand this relationship. What if we walk away and don't understand this? We're just like those disciples who don't get it. Jesus is saying, the event is getting ready to happen. I need you to focus so you can get this point. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you don't understand that, we need to ask the questions. And here we have Q&A sessions that allow you to get into more detail of what does it mean that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I think we need to talk about it more. If Jesus is stressing this to this point, to this degree, and the disciples didn't get it, perhaps we don't get it either. So we need to dwell on it, make sure. Because guess what? The disciples didn't get it. They were asking questions, but later on they did get it. And now we're post-Pentecost believers, just like it said in John 17, 20 and 21. So then do we get it? Are we missing something here? I hope not. And for many who don't even look at the verse and don't spin it around in their minds, they don't get it. Uh, I could tell you it, it is not a common or commonly understood verse. So I'm pausing to make sure. And this is Jesus is going to continue with this thought in the context of John 14. But if you've missed the emphasis, it was not only for the disciples, I would say it is for all who, for whom the Holy Spirit has uh, preserved these verses in the future. Okay, point C. Mutual possession is the thought here. Uh, this relationship is dynamic and living. And we have the Father's presence Hello. now. Hold on. Let's see. Let's, I know we have some background noise here. Let's just fix it. Okay, so the relationship is dynamic and living. And we have the Father's presence now. Let's go to 1 John 1. One through four, if we could. Just to look at this. One, one through four. So I'm going to read from the beginning. I'll point out a couple things as we go. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now, this part here is unique 
because it's very reminiscent of John 1 1. Or the beginning was the Word, and the Word was here. That which was from the beginning. And what beginning are we talking about? We're talking about God, right? God is the God never began, but the beginning he's talking about is creation, all things. And uh, that's what it says in verse 3 of John 1 1 through 3. So we have heard, we have seen, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, This we proclaim concerning the word of life. And he, he says, The life appeared. We have seen it, testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. This is literal witnesses of this, so that you also may have fellowship with us. Now get this. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So we have fellowship with the Father. And obviously, that fellowship is facilitated by God the Holy Spirit. But that fellowship, it says, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's key. It's not just Jesus Christ. It's the Father and Jesus Christ. Again, we share the very same relationships that they had. And then what does he write in verse 4? John 1, 1 John 1, 4. We write this to make your joy complete. So we need this information as part of our makeup in our spiritual lives. Right? To make it complete. Right? You won't fully have the understanding of this until you get it. Right? This is important that this relationship with the Father, this new entity that is being introduced by Jesus. It's not just him introducing some concept that is not important or that just the same as what we had in the Old Testament. This is something completely new. And not only is it new in that respect, and never before seen, but it's new in terms of the dynamic relationship that we have in this age. We need to understand it. That's the point. Point D, back to our notes. The introduction of the Father is now complete. If it wasn't already, <laughs> I'm going to read another passage. And when we say the introduction of the Father, what we mean by that is exactly, um, if you think about, um, I'm, while I'm turning here, John 16, just imagine uh, someone was talking about uh, a person and constantly talked about, constantly talked about him, and then uh, you, you come to think, hey, have I ever met this person? I don't think you keep talking about this person, but I've really never met this person. Who is this person you keep talking about? Well, the disciples were confused theologically. As another point was, it wasn't so much that they were confused, but they re refused to believe what Jesus was saying. They were at a theological crisis. Uh, well, didn't want, it's not so much they didn't understand what he was saying, they just didn't believe it. Well, not believing it limited their understanding as well. So, in this case, uh, we, we have to see this perspective here. Uh, we have to come full circle. I'm going to read verses 24 through 28. 
John 16. And let's see if you understand where we're at here. Until now, Jesus says, uh, you have not asked anything for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, at this time, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying you will ask the Father on your, that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you and you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world and now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. So this is a quite interesting back and forth conversation about looking who Jesus is, his relationship to the Father, and now the disciples, he's turning them over to the care of this new relationship that is coming. And things have changed. That's a part of it. Uh, they need, we needed to see this. We have something available that never existed prior to this time. So if, if you didn't know all of this was so, learn of it. Uh, because this is the destiny that we have before God. It's complete. God has now told us, if you haven't heard it anywhere else, that this is the new dynamic of the relationship that we have as believers. Point E, we need to play, pay close attention to the words of Jesus. We have much to learn of these new dynamics. All the questions about it are answered. When, what, and why. So we could say, when did all of this, does it begin? Well, Pentecost, we know. <clears throat> it was clearly laid out in Scripture. We've When the Spirit comes, when He comes, uh, when the Comforter comes, I'm going to send you one. Right? All of that language prompted Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was uh, descended and, and was received by those in the upper room. That's the when. What is the what? The what is, well, we know what it is. It's this new dynamic relationship that God is conferring on the, not only on the church, but that Jesus modeled for us when he was here on earth. So we know when it is, we know what it is, and why. We can know the why. We can think about the mystery and the impact that it has. We can think forward and think, well, what was the plan of God? What is that about? What is he trying to accomplish in doing all of this? There's something completely new, but how do we understand that? Do we, how do we integrate that into what we've previously held? Uh, we may need to make some adjustments. So once we understand what God's eternal purpose is, which we now do, so we know the when, we know the what, and we know the why of this whole plan. So the only thing now is to pay close attention to the words of Jesus. Because paying attention to the words, if you understand his perspective, will teach you drastically about this new truth that is here for us. Because listening to the perspective, even the nuances 
listening to the metaphor, right? Because you're talking about a person who fully is aware of what this new perspective is. So the only way you're going to learn of that perspective, adopt it, is to be so familiar with the perspective. That's why reading the Word of God is like no other book ever. You are not just getting the words of some author. You are getting the words of eternal God. And I love that thundering language in Isaiah. Thus declares the Lord. You know, and then he tells you, I made the heavens and the earth is my footstool and and, uh, you know, I am the creator. I have created all things. I love what God is telling us through that. Now listen to me. Listen to me. So it's an important way. We've got to pay that. We've got to give it that attention. Or else we will not uh, see it. And let me tell you, I, I'm here to tell you, many have diverted from this. Just like the disciples. They heard it but it didn't have any impact on them. And if you, so if you ask them about a mystery or something that was hidden and revealed, they have no understanding when this should be a major in their spiritual life, in their growth, they have no clue as to what is being said. So let's continue. Believe me when I say that, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And point number three, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Now we've had similar passages to this, so I'm just going to present a few points. Jesus is pleading with them to believe, and I say us as well. I'm, I mean, we, we are in a situation where the times that we live in, this message is not being preached. Now, I don't want to say I'm the only one preaching it. I am certainly not. However, this is not a common message. So we need to continue to plead today with the church. Believe these words. There's people who, who are certainly saved, but that doesn't mean that's all there is. God wants, he has clearly turned so that we can now focus on his eternal purpose. He's always been focused on it, but now that it's revealed, it is a directional message that we have to go out and to preach this gospel and to bring many sons to glory and, and that they may have the full knowledge of the truth. And this is a key message, a key purpose of God. And once the genie is out of the bottle, as they say, it cannot be put back in. This information is out there and it will always be out there. All Satan can do is try to minimize it, create smoke screens so that people can't see it, create diversionary measures where, yeah, you, you thought you were interested in that, let me divert your attention somewhere else. So he could distract you, he can get you so tied up in whatever it is that you, have, you know, this is now becomes not a major, but a minor. And that's what you, you want to make it a major priority in your life. So point B, uh, the evidence. God has testified, but here, even though God has, this is what the word says and all that, right? 
but you have the opportunity to believe him. Right? Now, this is opportunity. It doesn't mean you have to believe him. It's, but it presents opportunity, the fact that God has testified. Well, what do the signs, wonders, and miracles do? That's the evidence. Right? That's what he's saying, the works, the things you have seen. You have had a front row seat, the disciples, for all the miracles, signs, and wonders. And now what, do you, what conclusions can you draw? Right? With all of that, they still didn't believe. Now, they came to believe later, but we get to see the back and forth, which is great to have. Yeah. So this, he appeals, this, this is the point C here. God allows us to determine what is reasonable according to the evidence. He appeals to our reason. And this is very important here. Even though there's these great signs, wonders, and miracles, he allows each soul to reason that for themselves. He doesn't take it for granted that uh, they have to believe him. He still then comes to your your person and wants to reason with you. Um, this is not something new. God, this is he respects us. He doesn't bowl us over and just. You know, disregard our will as though it were nothing. But he gives us respect by saying, let me reason with you. Now, first of all, I'm God. I created all things. I created you. And now I want you to come to understand what I'm saying, and I want you to trust in it, believe it. So there's ample evidence, I would say, for us to believe God. Ample evidence. Although God uses that ample evidence as a foot in the door to our souls to say, hey, isn't this reasonable? Don't you think this is a reasonable belief? There's a, couple, there's a scripture here I wanted to turn to, Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. Let's look at that real quick. Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. This is what God says to Israel. Come now, let us settle the matter says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now this, is he reasoning with them? Yes. He tells them what the, if you do this, these are this is what can happen. If you do that, these are the consequences. But he says, come now, let us settle the matter. Let us reason together. I, you know, I know where you are. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. God is, he's willing to come to us and work it out. I appreciate that. I mean, we, that's not... That's a sign of someone who is, even though he has all of that power and authority, it is his mind to come to us and reason. It's one thing, I mean, if we were to think of a king who says, I don't care what you think, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to make you do it. God is saying, I have given you free will, and I respect 
your free will. That's important to note. Uh, I hope you realize the importance of it. Let's keep going. Otherwise, point D, why present these appeals to us at all? Our decisions are important. That's what this says. He, he wouldn't need to appeal anything to us if they were not. So point E, the works themselves, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. This is information they have that is overwhelming. And this is where I was saying the disciples had a front row seat for the most part of all of Christ's signs, wonders, and miracles. And I'd make the point, would it be wise to refuse to believe him? Uh, you, could, you could not believe him, that's your choice. But I'm asking, this is a point of reason, would it be wise to refuse to believe him? That's the appeal. God doesn't come to us and say, you must believe in Christ. He says, if you believe, this. If you don't, this. I'm going to tell you what the reality is. If you believe in me, well, you'll have this. And, I, and I've given you lots of evidence. I'm appealing to your reason. So it does matter that God reach our logic as human beings. He reasons with us. We reason from a point of logic. When we talk to people, we'll talk about what is true. Oh, we know one and one is equal to two. And we know that three minus one is also equal to two. So it would reason that one plus one and three minus one both equal two. I mean, we could, come on, don't follow my math. This is, but there are logical arguments that we can make. And we would expect that people would follow those logical arguments. And some people don't. They'll say, because they don't believe any information that comes from whatever source, they will say, no, that's not true. And here's why. And it will sound irrational to us if we're reading right there that one plus one is two. It's very clear. So I guess what I'm saying here is we could say that human logic has nothing to do with it. But what God, the Holy Spirit, does is he's, en he's enlightening us to, whether, whether it's the gospel or new information, and he's wrestling with us to help us understand that information. And then he appeals to our, our minds, says, believe. You should believe this. It makes the most sense. It's logical. I've shown you. This is why. So you have opportunity to, to reason with God. That's huge. And when you find that you have uh, gone round and round, let's say, with someone, and, and the facts are very clear, but then, because the facts are clear, does not mean that everybody will come to the same conclusion about those facts. So the facts are clear. God's, you know, signs, wonders, and miracles. God is obviously in this. As Nicodemus said, no one can do these things except God is with him. No one. I, I recognize that God is here. Nicodemus still had to learn. 
you must be born again. Obviously, Nicodemus was not born again. He was an unbeliever. But God was reasoning with him through the evidence of those signs, wonders, and miracles. So it's important that the appeal is important. <clears throat> then we get to that part where he says, at least believe on the evidence. For the... So that's the least he's saying. If you don't just trust me, at least you have this. Right? So I say the appeal continues in point F. So I want to read Matthew 11, 2 through 6 on this one. Matthew 2. Uh, wait a minute. Matthew 2. Matthew 11, 2 through 6. Boy, sorry. Matthew 11, 2 through 6 says, this is an interesting one. So this is the disciples of John. When John, was, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent disciples. Now get this. It didn't say what he sent, but you're going to find out what he sent them to ask. So John, this is John the baptizer or John the Baptist. He was now in prison by Herod and obviously languishing there. And he was starting to wonder. This is what he says. He wanted him to ask. Verse three, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Hmm. It's interesting. Now, John is the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And here he is expressing doubt. Why would he do that? I mean, did not John baptize Jesus in the River Jordan? Didn't John realize that he had, the, he had all of that? But listen. He is, he is asking, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? In other words, is everything I've done in vain? Is it for nothing? That is interesting for John to say that. Is it okay that we have doubts or that we question a thing? Yes, it's okay. So this is what Jesus replied. He didn't. And I love the reply because it speaks to everything we've been talking about. This is what Jesus says. Go back and report to John what you see, what you hear and see. Here's what he says. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now listen, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now listen, the, the, the very things, this is the evidence, this is what Jesus is saying. At least believe on the evidence. John, take that back to John. What, what are you taking back? Jesus confirmed, I am the one. I, 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 I am. Just believe me. No, he said, listen, John, I understand you have doubts. And I recognize that. But here is what the evidence you should be looking at. Don't just trust my word. Some new Messiah who uh, could come along and say, I'm the Messiah. But he won't have all that. The lame walk, the lepers, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the... Listen, not everybody's going to have that. But I have that, John. Trust that this is me. 
So John was supposed to trust. See, it wasn't an automatic that John had to believe that Jesus was the Christ. He did believe it, but it's okay that he had doubts. And Jesus reassures him. Guess how he reassures him? On the evidence that he was, in fact, who he said he was. That evidence was not Jesus is doing. It was God doing this for Jesus, through Jesus. Come back to our notes. So that's the at least. And the disciples had plenty of that. Right? Jesus could have said, hey, don't you know the dead have been raised? He, all he had to say is to them is, listen, you have evidence. You have seen the works. Trust what I'm saying. He's appealing to them, especially. So as we're winding down, I'm asking here some questions of you. Where does your faith rest? So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll just look at this one verse, which we have read it before, but it bears repeating. 2, 1 through 5. Here it is. And so it is with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with elo eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in great, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So when we say the logic, all that reasoning, listen, you are supposed to make the proper choice for yourself, for your own soul. If you've seen this, if you, if you are depending on human uh, words that are wise and, and persuasive speech and all of this other stuff that the world does depend on, Paul said, nope, it should rest on the Spirit's power. And what is that? That's the signs, the wonders, the miracles. That's what it is. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. In other words, the reason why we have faith is not because we've been persuaded through some motivational speaker or some uh, great speech that moved us. We believe because we know that God testified to this through signs and wonders and, and various miracles by means of the Holy Spirit. That's how we, that's what our faith rests on. We know the direction that we, we are going in is true because God did it. Now, going back to that verse, guess what we do now have? After he demonstrates that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power, he begins to teach them. He gives them the what to believe. He says, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. So this, and he goes on, the rest of the chapter is about the deep things of God. So, question becomes the last point and we will have to quit. Can you trust God with your soul? That's salvation. Will you 
commit the matter of your soul to Jesus Christ. He's the Savior. He, he, he's the one who died for all of your sins. And in grace, it's a free gift. You can be saved. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And you will have eternal life. And point number, the second point in this is, and can you trust God with the direction of your life? And that means your growth in grace or growing in grace. Can you trust him to guide and direct you throughout life, to tell you what is most important, to uh, adjust your scale of values so that they match his scale of values? Can you readjust your priorities in life? What's important, what's not so important? Can you trust God? You trusted him with your soul. Can you trust him with the direction of your life? That's a question that all of us probably will have to answer daily. So let's continue this thought next week where we will continue with the context of John chapter 14. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. We're privileged to have this information and to be in this age at this time. We thank you for the calling, which we can never repay. But all we can do is marvel at your marvelous grace and the orchestration of your eternal plan. We pray for everyone listening, and we pray uh, for the families and uh, of each of, of the of the families of the Word is Truth Christian Church. That all of us, we will make an impact in the world. That we will fulfill the mission and the destiny that you have given us. That we will be fully conformed to the image of your Son take our place in the battle. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen.